Welcome to another episode of Majoring in the Minors podcast, a podcast where we talk about how the majority of people focus on the minor and insignificant things in life. Your hosts, as usual, Louis and Mahi. The fake sponsor for this episode is the fresh smell of gasoline. Uh, today, we have a special guest, at least very special to me, uh, my business mentor, Nathaniel Morris. Uh, he's the guy who's made me, like, who's made it possible for me to just sit down here and actually record a podcast and not have that much worries in my life. Like, um, it's a good life. He's helped me make quite a bit of money in, in the fitness industry. Not just that, he's taught me how to run a business when it comes to being a PT. And obviously, one of my closest friends as well. So we have him on the podcast to just give us a little bit of insight on how to run a business, be it for a PT or anyone else. Uh, Nathaniel, welcome. Thanks. That's very, some very kind words there, Mohan. <laughs> Not sure if I deserve them all, but thanks. Ah, come on. You know it's true. <laughs> Louis, you're awfully quiet. Do you have anything to say? Well, I thought uh, Nathaniel would have been introducing himself. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah, 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 I should do that. That's a good <laughs> First time, guys. So, yeah, like Mahan said, my bias is understanding business in regards to um, personal training and the fitness industry. I spent a number of years selling, like, memberships, like normal gym memberships, but of, like, a, let's say, like, a middle market brand. Um, I learned a lot there because... I was just always chewing the ears off of the PTs that were around me. Um, I was really, really fortunate. I met some really, really top trainers with a lot of experience, ranging from um, people working on like an Olympic team um, over to people that just focus on, on just corporate um, and made a lot of money doing that. And then that was when I started my career. And then over time, I transitioned more and more over into like the fitness side of the industry. And then about, well, about two thirds of the way through that, I then met Mahan um, and started coaching other PTs uh, as like a little side thing, just as a side project, because it was something I was interested in, because I realized there was a lot of trainers out there who were really, really good, talented, skilled, were in great shape and could change people's lives, but weren't because they weren't necessarily skilled as skilled as they were um, in sort of sales, marketing, and that kind of thing. And that's me. Apart from that, I'm a geek. Um, I love comic books. I love Pokemon. I love all this kind of stuff. And um, that's another thing that I think should come through in what you do, like a lot of personality. Because at the end of the day, that classic people by people is so true. And I don't think that you shouldn't shy away from what it is that makes you unique as a trainer. And that's me. Is that too long? No, no, that's perfect. <laughs> but before we actually go into, into depth into your insights, I actually want to tie things into how people kind of major in the minors. So because you've coached a lot of PTs, could you give us some of the examples of where PTs kind of waste time in trying to promote themselves and how they could better, better promote themselves in the future? Oh, yeah, that's a great one. We're starting right in for the meat and potatoes. So something I've noticed is that like social media is a great tool, but it, I think that it's used in the wrong way. Um, so say for example, you're a, what, you know, a, a normal PT, let's say you work in a commercial gym, maybe a corporate area. Um, and the majority of your clients are going to be based within that gym, should we say, so 90%. I see a lot of people spending time like crafting these beautiful posts that have, Maybe it's to do with like what sort of training they do or whatever. The content's not that relevant, but they seem obsessed with how many likes or how well it does, even though the people liking it are on the other side of the planet and they have very, very little chance of training them. Now, obviously with um, online training and that kind of stuff, we now have a bit more reach, but often the trainer is not talking about that. They're talking about, you know, what it is they know about training or, their style or their own physique or something like that. So I think that that when in reality, if they just open their eyes and look around the gym they're in, there's hundreds, if not thousands of people that they could approach about their training, that they could have an effect on um, immediately. Um, I was someone that built my business without like any real social media. 
I mean, I use it to like showcase some things as in like the way I, I use social media is I'll say to someone, oh, you know, that is a, a way of collecting data. So I might say, oh, I, I saw this video on Instagram that I think might be of interest to you, like based on our last conversation. Um, if I can have your Instagram, I can send it to you or watch your Instagram, I'll send it to you. And it's a way of, of communicating and sending info. So something I've said to Mahan many, many times is the idea that I'm going to create content that's better than, let's call them a professional, people that make their career on those platforms like Instagram or YouTube. I can just as, I can much, much easier share that um, that information than I can create my own and just slap my name on it and do, do it not as well. So that's yeah, something, to go back to your original point, that's something that I think is relatively minor that people focus on a lot when the major is right in front of the face. It's just that that major is a little bit more difficult to do. Yeah, I <laughs> sorry. I, I really agree with that. Like a lot of people just already want to, like, I think they just want the easy way out. Like, uh, well, we are going to talk as PTs, but they, uh, it, it's so, well, again, I've learned this from Nathaniel. It's so easy to run a business just in the gym you are. Cause like, there's there's so many interactions that you can capitalize on and people just don't like they're scared of having that interaction and it's much easier to be like kind of like a keyboard warrior just like that um being anonymous you know the fact that like you, you are putting part of yourself on the social media that is not the real you anyways and it's just like people will get glimpse of glimpses of your actual life and then you're trying to uh, make a business out of that whereas like you could just focus on like the immediate circle outside of that and like people who are just there in front of you and talk to them. There's so many times that we've seen, and again, discovered with practice, Nathaniel's helped me realize it, realize it that there's like so many people that you could go and talk to, but people like PTs are busy taking a picture or like making, curating this perfect post, whereas they could have had like a meaningful conversation for five minutes and actually get a client out of it. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, it's for me it's quite sad because i've i've asked people in the past you know I, I asked them how do you go about getting clients and and it's kind of a loaded question and i expect them to say oh you know i'm very good at you know this sort of interaction or that sort of interaction i.e i get a lot of my cl my clients from classes or i get a lot of my clients through referrals or i get a lot of my clients through whatever and i hear more more often now I hear, I get my clients through, uh, or I try, I should say, to get my clients through Instagram. And I just think this is untested waters. Um, and we're trying, people are trying to be absolutely unbelievably revolutionary when the reality is, you know, like Mahan just said, the, the answers are right there in front of your face. Like there's meaningful intera interactions to be had um, every single day in a gym and not just the gym that's in if you think about any any place where you're in you're in the area where the service is provided it's the same thing what do you yeah, think Martin? yeah i kind of agree with you guys both because even in marketing uh we see this a lot where companies they kind of they try to channel to the wrong audience instead of going for the actual audience they care more about the kpis that don't matter the likes the comments the clicks without actually engaging with the right audience. Mm. And I think that's just a problem across the board, not even in fitness. Because, uh, you oh, know, the, the, the influx of uh, social media has kind of given them this uh, platform to kind of test out and just shoot everything out there. But it doesn't really generate that much for the money spent yeah. or the time put in. I think it's um, companies like, is it Misguided or Pretty Little Thing, one of those ones where they do things like, um, you know, paint uh, or put graphics on like a Rolls Royce and then like it would cause this like huge media storm and then obviously that gets them publicity and then from that they get sales. I think that too many small business operators are trying to, manage, trying to operate their business like that. They're trying to replicate things they've seen these huge companies do when in reality that's not you know likewise the other way around wouldn't work for for them they couldn't just walk into a, a department store where where some of their clothing is sold or whatever and say oh have you tried this have you tried that it wouldn't work for them so they're trying to emulate something that they can't 
that, that doesn't actually benefit them. Yeah, absolutely. I think because uh, like it or not, uh, the you know, this uh, what we learned from COVID is that every like, you know, it has pushed businesses five to 10 years into the future. And we are like, everything's going to eventually be more, you know, on the online side of things. Mm. But I feel like people have to, again, just, just like building a house, they have to build the basics first. They haven't even like, you know, people have to just kind of look at their business and find out like on a, on a smaller scale, what are the weaknesses and the strength of the business before catapulting it into like, you know, just trying to just focus on that, um, online or social media aspect of it because like that that could be one way but you still have like so many other things that you haven't even looked at but that's the first thing people try to look at and that's where the problem comes is that they haven't even like earned their badges or earned their stripes or they don't even have enough kpis or information like you know they don't have the right kpis or they haven't decided what's actually right for them to grow their business and then they just want like they just have this one tenet of I want to go online and like, I just want to make it online. Well, there are so many other things that can feed into that before they make that, uh, they, before they take that step that they're not considering. Yeah, hundred percent. All right. Now I would like to move it to a more kind of, uh, I would like to actually utilize the insights you have. So if let's say, you know, what are the tips you have for, let's say up and coming PTs in terms of trying to attract better clientele? Like, what would you kind of focus on at first? Stick to your lane. <laughs> Stick to your lane. So, yeah, there's... um. Okay, so I believe that there is a... there's. So when I'm teaching, a, I'm talking about a brand new person who hasn't got any clients, right? So that person is very different to a person who's, say, on 10 sessions per week, so two, two a day in the working day, in a working week. And then that person is very different to say someone who's on 20 and it probably goes again at like 35. So when someone's brand new, it then depends on um, like I'll speak to them and, and find out a bit about their understanding of the industry, but it depends on, I don't want to say their age, age is too restrictive, but definitely their experience within training and their experience within the industry. I.e., do they come from somewhere else? Are they like customer service or, or sales background, or are they just brand, brand spanking new? Now, someone brand new, I personally believe, should try and add value anywhere they can. And this is a, a big point that I make, talking about where you can add value. But when you start out, if, if you're worried about the money aspect of things, you kind of have to go for anybody and anything. So anyone that would get value from you being there, essentially. So maybe that's someone who's not motivated, someone who wants to lose a bit of weight and just needs to increase their activity, someone who uh, is just finding out about fitness or has just joined the gym for the first time. These are all your best places where you can add value when you're, when you're inexperienced. And you have to work a lot there on understanding that the person you're training is not going to necessarily have the same sort of um, motivation, let's say, as you are. So that's like my, my tip one. Tip one is all about on, on day one up until the end of the first month, all you should be doing is talking to as many people as possible about you know, exercising its general benefits. Then shortly after that, so say you're in month two, three, and you've got yourself a couple of clients, it's there when you want to start looking at do you have a bias towards training a certain type of person or a certain type of goal. And there's a reason I make that distinction because your expertise in terms of what you know about training might affect their goal, i.e. strength, hypertrophy, so like bodybuilding stuff, endurance, cardiovascular, all that kind of stuff. Your, your um, bias might be towards that because of your, what you understand, but you might have a particular affinity with a certain type of person. That's another, so like, are you good at corporates, for example? Are you good at someone who doesn't care about training, is very, very stressed, and just needs you know, half an hour, 45 minutes of like being able to turn their brain off? Are you good at potentially training you know, uh, mums, you know, people who are maybe not in as good shape as they were before and are trying to get back on track? Are you good at people that are overweight? And that 
establishing that as soon as possible is the key to I, I think being able to build what I call a sustainable business. So when you can get to the point where you've got your 20 plus sessions a week um, and you don't have to constantly like backfill people that you're losing because they stay with you. So day one out of the gates, spreading the message of fitness. After you've got yourself a couple of clients and ease that um, financial burden of maybe the rent that the gym has or just, you know, finance is in your, in your personal life. Once you've eased that, that's when you can start looking at, okay, do I want to train a certain type of person or train using a certain style? And maybe it will help if, if Mahan talks about, hit, like maybe what he saw with me, because Mahan saw me at zero business because I was in a new gym and I wasn't allowed to train anyone out before my probation was over. And he watched me go from literally zero to probably, probably the biggest Maybe, maybe the second biggest business in the gym. And he watched me do that over maybe like a four or five month period. So maybe it'd be good if he could see, say what he saw. Yeah, so um, I think one of the, like, uh, and the point you made I really like is you have to kind of make it clear to you. And it can change, obviously. It, it can change who you're uh, kind of catering to. But if you just make it clear that what type of people you're like, you know, kind of... Um, trying to add value to because for you it was very clear what type of people you wanted to train mm -hmm. and there was uh you know you have and i'll let you explain it later but you have popularized this term that we use in the gym that uh, there was no fitness flirting you were just straight to the point you're like at the end of the day it is a business and you're here to sell a business and like it was very straightforward it was always like you know you're coming out of door of like, well, I'm providing a service and I think you will benefit from that. I can add value in these areas and uh, would you like to hire it? So like, I think that straightforwardness was like one of the things that really opened my eyes to it. And I was like, oh, you don't, you mean I don't need to try to get, the, become this friend, this person's friend for two weeks straight and then eventually they will realize the value of my work. Like I can just ask them that, have you thought about training? whoa <laughs> that's so yeah I, th I think that was very like you know just the fact that you had you had it clear to yourself what your values are or where you can add value and then you would just be straightforward and be like well these are these are these are the things i can do and uh, uh you know just just straight to the point straight for the jugular that that was like one of the main things and i, I learned quite uh, i learned it really fast and i tried to apply it to my business and that rule of the third question you know almost forgot about that yeah i always say if you're not good at something like if you find something quite difficult to do the the next best thing like so a lot of people say oh it's okay for you to find you you're like a a natural salesperson whatever that means or you're very chatty or you're very this or you're very that and I, i've always said to people okay yeah people do have talents they're, they're better on day one than you might be so anywhere that there's not you're not talented or you really struggle, my um, advice is to always have a process or a rule. So what I used to say to these guys is I'm very good at getting straight to the point and being like, look, I can help you get to your goal much faster than you would on your own. That, I'd, be as, I'd, I'd, I'd say it as simply as that. Um, the only barriers that you need to hire me as a trainer. Uh, so I would often say to people, if you just make it a rule, that you're going to ask them about having a trainer as the third question every time you'll get there as opposed to this oh i got your two weeks in and you haven't even asked them if they want to train with you and you've become their mate but you haven't actually found out anything about their goals or anything like that so yeah i used to say to mahan and anyone that coach really ask it as the third question once you've got name you know and their goal and they've told you a bit about their goal yeah i want to do this that and the other you can talk, you can say something afterwards, and then why not follow it up with, have you thought about working with a trainer? Would you like to work with a trainer? Is training something you've, con like with a personal trainer, something you've considered? And, the and then that way you guarantee the fact that you're actually gonna ask it as opposed to, you know, two weeks down the line, seeing that they're, with they're training with someone else or they've just fallen off the wagon or they've never come back or whatever. But yeah, we called it, I, I said, Anything after that point is fitness flirting. It's a very unique type of conversation that only seems to happen in the gym. And it's when you as a business owner, i.e. the PT, 
have a product or a, or a slash service that you want to sell, but instead you're talking about Coronation Street or what football team they support, as opposed to if they actually want your services. And I find it very, very funny because it doesn't, imagine that happened in a department store. If you went and the perfume lady or whatever, or the, or the, or even in like, um, you know, um, is it Hamley's, like the toy store? Imagine you went in there and instead of the person doing a toy demo and sending you a toy, they just started talking about football. You'd find it really weird. But in the gym, that's become like a natural behavior. So you're, you're an advocate, obviously, of just jumping straight to the point, you know, I, getting I to the that, meat and bones. Yeah, I think that what happens when you do that is it's almost like a relief to the, to the um, person you're speaking to in a way. Because most of the time, trainers are walking around with a T-shirt that says personal trainer on it. So I feel like they know that it's coming. And I think, I think the problem is not necessarily that that is a perfect approach. I think the problem is that the other approach, i.e. the fitness flirting, is so undesirable, if that makes sense. Like I think a lot of people would happily go to the gym and never have an interaction or like never have a, a conversation with someone. But then you have this other weird one where you've got like, I always, I don't know why, but I always imagine like a juice bar in a gym, even though we don't have one in ours. But I always imagine like, there's like the juice bar and there's like, like a, a trainer there and he's like tight t-shirt all ripped. And like just talking to like, you know, I always say Sandra from HR, who's like, you know, just joined the gym for the first time and does a bit of Zumba. And they're talking, he, they're trying to find, he's trying to find anything to talk about to have, um, to make the conversation longer with this person. When in reality, the thing that they have in common is that she goes to the gym that he works in. Does that make sense? I totally agree with you on that. A lot of people would also be off put by that, that kind of conversation, that kind of flirting. Because mm. like, what, what's the point? You know, who cares about how the weather is? I just I get to the point, you know, ask me what you're going to ask me. Um, yeah. And I think but, that it's, it's that reluctancy to, because people don't, I, my understanding of psychology is that people like to be liked. So once you've established that this person's like not a threat, which most of the time we have that now, because we're in like very, we're in like a, a good environment. You, you want to be like a friend to that person or you want to be liked by that person. And I think that's fine, but I'd rather work on that when I was making a substantial amount of money, not be liked first, if that makes sense. And I think that that's why when you asked the question originally, um, it's, it's very different coaching someone at the beginning than it is when they're at like 30 sessions a week and they're absolutely snowed with how, like, you know, they can barely move, they've barely got time to go to the toilet. Because those people still need coaching, but it's a very, very different. Then you're looking at your client staying with you forever. Then it becomes a different a different game whereas at the beginning being liked doesn't pay the bills unfortunately and i've met tons of trainers that are like the nicest people you know you'd go out for a beer with this person you you would help this person out if they needed you but and all that kind of stuff but their businesses are you know that you say oh how many sessions do you do and they're like oh five or six and i'm thinking a day and they mean a week meanwhile you've got mr like you know all business cutthroat who's you know, making tons of money and still has friends, you know, still has lots of people in the gym that like him or her. And I think that when I, after I used to see that in, in, you know, real time, it made me realize that there, there must be a difference in what you have to do at the beginning versus what you do later on. Absolutely. I guess it's about showing your business acumen so people can also kind of trust in you as opposed to just being your buddy. 100%, 100%. But there was and another the, top, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I just, I just think of like all the other professions where, you know, I'm not interested in you as a person yet when, when I'm the consumer. Like uh, if I go to a, a solicitor or an accountant, any of these sort of things, I want them to do the job. If they become, like you often hear the term, I actually know, like a, I don't want to say an old accountant, but like an accountant who's at the latter stage of his career, let's say. And, you know, he's got lifelong friends from doing his job. But he also lives in an absolutely humongous house. 
and has loads and loads of money and you think right so having a bias towards building your business doesn't automatically mean you're going to be a hated person and i think that that's what we need to come away from this idea that if you push your business you're somehow this money hungry like scrooge mcduck type person when you're not in reality you're trying to help as many people as possible that obviously are willing to pay you but later on that can then change into more like you know charitable work or or things that you can do for people that maybe can't afford it but first you need to make the money yeah absolutely and i think it's actually a lot of people think that people who are cutthroat don't add value but the reality is these people know how to add value to other people's lives and i actually wanted to get into that so uh, you, we talk a lot about adding value and, and this is a topic for all businesses but in as a pt um in this uh, sort of saturated market mm-hmm. how would how do you think up and coming pts can give value you know because it's it's there's a lot of competition there are a lot of different pts out there what kind of value could a new person give or how would you coach it out of them okay so the biggest thing when you're a new pt is that you are there and that sounds really silly but realistically speaking if you go to a gym and say the gym's got three thousand members and the gym's got 15 personal trainers okay now no you might not have a qualification in you know pre and postnatal or you might not have a qualification in nutrition you might not have any of these things but the biggest thing that you do have is you are you are right there and you can actually be with that person so i always challenge my let's say my more experienced pts that i'm coaching I always say to them, okay, so your session is, is better than, you know, this other train, let's say, like your knowledge is better. But how much does that improve that client in one session? How much difference does that really make? Because I think it's extremely negligible unless you're talking about like an elite level athlete. So then, like I said, the best thing that you can offer is your, you can be present and you can listen to the person's goals and you can motivate and help them through it. I think a lot of new trainers, so, so it's funny because this actually recently happened. I hired a trainer and it was a, it's a girl and she was not, I don't wanna say intimidated, but she was very aware that the experience of the other trainers was more than her. And I said to her, but the thing is, I, I, would, I would talk to her, I would go with her and talk to people on the gym floor even though we both spoke to this lady or this guy, he had no interest in training with me. He was way more interested in training with you or she was way more interested in training with you. So I would say that the, the big, biggest tip I would give, like sort of coming out of the blocks as a new trainer or when you're trying to build your business or news industry is don't look at what everyone else is doing. Look at, have I tried to add value to every person I spoke to today? That's the biggest question you've got to ask yourself. Did you uh, try and add value to as many people as possible? Did you talk about a training method or the training methodology you use? Have you talked about your history or your story? Have you talked about the limited clients that you do have and, and what you've done with them? Have you talked about what nutrition protocols you follow? All these sort of things are places that like a trainer on day one can do. Um, and they still, um things that i do today so one of my one of my um tricks as it were because it can be quite difficult to spark those conversations i I was just to say just get it sounds so dumb to someone not in the industry but get a cloth and a spray and look at look along the gym floor anywhere there's a machine that someone's on a machine just clean the machine next to them and just be like hi you're right how are you how's things today I love this exercise you're doing. That's one of my favorites. Um, have you done it? Do you do it much or do you always do this exercise? And they'll start talking. You go, could I show you what I do with my clients? And then you take them through and you've maybe set it up a bit differently and you spark that initial conversation. The biggest thing you did there was add interest to that person and their goals. You didn't do anything about necessarily about your level of expertise. So that's why I encourage all new trainers to do when they start. 
Honestly, do you have a book or like a blog? <laughs> because because you're a, you're a gold mine. I mean, I mean, what you're saying is so basic, but it's so like it's it's so workable. And like, if if you could just put all your info somewhere, like I'd I'd buy your book. I should I should. I mean, I started writing some articles. I did start writing articles, but um, to be honest, I would I'd love to pretend that like I there are a couple of there are a couple of Nathanuisms that are things that I originally coined, but a lot of my stuff was working in unfortunately a part of the industry that exists less and less now. So when you're in middle market, it's so hyper competitive. But because I had a salary job in the middle market, I could just watch the people that were making it and just I just studied them. I know it sounds really, it's kind of weird. Considering I was doing sales for membership, I used to just look at the personal trainers and be like, well, how comes this guy is like, you know, big and shredded and has got like, is amazingly strong and he struggles. And this guy has like, does not got a physique that you think would, would attract a lot of clients, but he's back to back all day long. And um, yeah, there's, it, it, I just kept looking at what these people were doing more and more and more. And I realized, you know what they, to a, to a non-gym goer, like someone who's more likely to hire a VT, you actually spending a couple of minutes talking to them about their training is like, they feel, wow, they feel validated. They feel like, look, this person thinks I'm doing something good. This person who is a professional said I did something good, but they can make it better. And that's very, very powerful to someone that isn't necessarily as confident in the gym. Honestly, I could listen to your Nathalianisms all day. Uh, <laughs> But I want to actually put Mahi on the spot here because he's kind of a case study for your coaching. Mm -hmm. So Mahan, can yes. you tell us how, how Nate's coaching has actually changed uh, how things work for you? So what you've done differently since you first started? Uh, uh, that's good because I was actually going to bring this up, but uh, thank you for doing this. So basically, this is how I operated my business when I became a PT, all right? I used to do calisthenics and my idea was just like, you know, when you do like, I don't know, like a, an animal who's, who has a mating ritual. I thought if people saw how cool I am, they would come and ask me and like, they would, I was trying to show off and start that conversation. I was trying to buy showing off, get people to come and talk to me. And then I'll be like, well, what I do is quite simple and then try to sell it to them. So I would go on the high, like, you know, the highest, place I could find on the gym floor, do a handstand there and put my life at risk kind of thing. Like if I fell, I would literally smack my head against the ground and that would be the end of my life. Just so someone would be like, oh bro, that's cool. And like, then I would be like, well, yeah, it's cool. But you know, actually it's easy to do. You have to do this and this and this. Let me show you. So I was trying to like, you know, get their attention. And then Nathaniel was like, well, here's an idea. Why don't you start the conversation? <laughs> Why don't you go and be like, oh, hi, like, what are you doing here? Like, what type of training are you doing? And then like, have you thought about working with a trainer? So just as, um, as you said, like when, when I first heard him just simplify these uh, kind of like just having a normal human interaction, because he, he says it as well. It kind of sounds dumb, but people don't do it. It's just normal human interaction. Just, just like have a conversation. Uh, so just like start, yeah, and it's difficult. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people are not good at communicating or not good at like, you know, being on the spot and like, you know, talking to people or even like, it, it's a big barrier to just go and approach people. But guess what? You can practice. Like not everyone's going to say yes, but the, the better you get at it. And Nathaniel says this a lot, like sometimes he doesn't even notice that he's selling because he's just done it so much. He just has that switch on. Like he's just, it's not even the fact that he's selling anymore. It's just a normal conversation. Like I've seen him many times. He sees someone new and he's still like, oh, have you thought about working with a trainer? Or do you have a trainer? Or what, like, you know, have you, like uh, the specific type of training you do, will it be benefited by someone who can help you more? So these just comes, eventually just becomes a force of habit. Um, so that's one thing I've learned from him is just like, these things are also becoming second nature to me. I'm just like, I'm, I'm getting good enough on the gym floor that I know what type of clientele I want to attract. And then just like, when I see them, I just talk to them and ask them. And then either they saying yes or no, we have like ways of dealing with that and just pick it up from there. And that also brings me back to one thing that I want to say with your question is I personally, and I, I, I think Nathaniel might have the same 
opinion. I do not think the fitness industry is saturated per se. I think it's saturated in, with people who don't know how to run a business. Because if it was saturated, a lot of us wouldn't have businesses like we do now. All right. And I think like we, we weren't working in the gym. We all got coached by him and we all started growing. Like, you know, I can name three or four of us who our businesses started growing and growing and growing. And it's still the same gym. And there's still people that other PTs can train. So I don't think that's a saturated market. I think it's saturated for people who don't know how to run a business. And I think that's why like personal training courses, they don't spend enough time teaching people how to run a business. They just want to give them a certificate and get their money. So uh, that would be my two cents on this. To add to that, man, I think that when people say saturated, I... I mean, uh, maybe I've got too much of an abundant mindset, but I I hear more accessible. That's what I hear because, like, if you think of it this way, if you go into a gym and there's 15 trainers, let's say, I don't know, let's say half of them are good. Let's say seven or eight of them are really good. Chances are their peak times are going to be taken. So that means there's tons of people at peak time that can't be seen by a trainer automatically because because half of the trainers are taken up so that really that peak time flow where there's like 200 people in the gym well then if you look at the numbers seven people with a pt or eight people and then you've got you know 192 people that aren't so i always think that there's this idea that sort of goes around the industry like oh how many members have you got because you know uptake of pt is like one in a hundred. I don't know. People say all kinds of numbers, like one in a hundred. And I'm always like, where does that even come from? Like, like who is doing that? Who is doing that data? It, it's like I don't. I've never understood that 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 um, those metrics because I always think, well, that's that's based off the idea that every single person in the gym or has been has been approached or been spoken to by a trainer. And that definitely doesn't happen. Like 100% it does not happen. There's no gym you could walk. Because I'm sure Mahan's had this same experience where I've talked to people and they've been a member of a gym for years and they've said no one's ever spoken to me about personal training. So are they included in that stat of one in 10? You know, and I always think, so I always think that actually the idea of saturation is the wrong word. It's more like training is now more accessible than ever before because there's more trainers that can operate in the peak times of the gym. And that's how it should be looked at. I mean, awesome. I mean, that that's that's actually a good way of looking at it. And the, the abundant mindset really does kind of set the tone. But I kind of want to move things into a different approach. So, because you said you're a nerd and a geek. Not a nerd, sorry. You said you're a geek. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> and so I kind of want to bring the human out as well, you know, because this was all business, which is great. But it's also good for people, for our imaginary audience to know more about you as a person and the wackiness that protrudes in your mind. So I'm going to do a kind of random segment where I ask a lot of quick fire questions and uh, you can respond. And, and this is not planned. So I'm just going to ask you randomly. Yeah. And uh, before you do that, can I just say something? When Nefanio says he's a nerd and a geek, like, uh, I considered myself a nerd and a geek, but he has some very niche areas that's just like, if you think, like, you know how you said you would buy a book of him because he's good in business? Uh, he's an encyclopedia when it comes to comic books. So yeah, be, be careful with the questions because some of these can get very deep and very detailed. Yeah, because sometimes someone asks me a question and it will be, the answer is very long. <laughs> but I'll try my best. All right. So yeah, I'll I'll try and make him quick fire, but obviously if if you yeah, if you go on a bit of a tangent, it's also kind of fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll start off with something simple. Uh, who's your favorite Pokemon? Oh, uh, it changes often, but probably um, I would say Poliwrath. Poliwrath. Yeah. Mm. Favorite generation is Gen, Gen One. Uh, I think the, the design's really cool because it's a it's a bit you know what he's supposed to be, but it's also a bit weird. And in Pokemon Go, he's a a mud boy, which is a water and mud type, and also the he but he learns dynamic punch, which is like a really powerful move, and ice. All right, favorite generation. 
I'm going to say Gen 1. I'm a Gen 1-er. Sad on that. Well, I actually prefer that generation myself. I think they overdid it with the other ones. Gen, the second, the next gen was ridiculous, and then Gen three it got better. Then Gen four was a mess, and then uh, then it starts getting weird after that. Yeah. Uh, favorite move? Oh, uh, in in what series of game? Oh, sorry, Pokemon. Uh, fo focus blast because it looks like a spirit bomb. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we'll move, we'll move into comics. So, favorite character? Ben Grimm, The Thing. DC or Marvel? Marvel, 100%. Favorite villain? Doctor Doom. What do you think of the Avenger movies? Absolutely fantastic. Anyone that uh, says anything against them clearly doesn't understand what they're for. Do you prefer Marvel or DC movies? Marvel movies. Do you like DC animation? Yes, it's better than Marvel's. All right. Mahi, you can also jump in because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm being random, you know, so you know him better. Yeah, but my questions will be like a bit more directed because I know that like... <laughs> uh, favorite video game, if you're a gamer. Oh, that's so hard. Uh, of all time, uh, Streets of Rage 2. Huh. Worst game. Worst game, ooh. Can I, is it like worst game that's meant to be good that I don't like, or like actually the worst experience I've ever had? Well, worst experience. You know what, Assassin's Creed, I really don't like it. The first one or all of them? The first one, I thought ah. what, like, everyone talked about it so much, I just did not like it. It's such a letdown. Yeah, Although I'm, just... I am, I'm playing the new one though, it's pretty good. They got better. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, I still think AC2 is the best one, but like Valhalla, obviously, like everything Viking is always seems good, but I think AC2 was the best one. That's my two cents. <laughs> I know I wasn't no, asked. I <laughs> no, 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 but I agree. You didn't actually ask, answer what's, the, what's, your worst? The like, worst? what's your worst game. You just um, you, you answered mine. Oh, yeah. My uh, <laughs> worst game. Oh, there's so many that comes to mind right now, but. Like, you know, when you just draw blank because, like, you're, you're thinking about so much and then it lets you down. I think a big letdown was um, actually talking about, because this game really hurt me, was Assassin's Creed Unity. Like, the, the one in France. That, that really hurt me. <laughs> so that's the one I can think of right now. I heard it's pretty, pretty bad. It was buggy, buggy mess. Oh, and also Warcraft 3 Reforged. That was also... Ah, uh, yeah, I heard a lot of people complaining yeah. about that. That was not nice. Favorite, all right, favorite video game storyline? Oh, you know what? I'm really sad, and I actually look into these. So I'm going to go with Metal Gear. Huh, I like that. That is my favorite. Because you've got good taste. Because <laughs> it went so weird. And I thought, they're never going to recover this now. We're just playing it for the game. But then, when you look, when you look at like the newer ones, like the one with Ryden and stuff, and they sort of somehow have managed to make it all make sense. And I find that like almost mind-boggling. Oh, yeah. Kojima definitely was a, is a, well, was a master. Yeah. It's Although like, I... he was, they're thinking like 20 years in the future. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I mean, he really was... He really was thinking far ahead. Although I do think the last Metal Gear kind of uh, kind of screwed up. The the Phantom Pain, I'm, I yeah. wasn't a fan. I think you have to. The thing is, it's like anything. You know, comics have the ability to retcon themselves. It's very difficult in games because yeah. you know, there's only like what five or six iterations. You can't really go, oh, everything you know is a lie, and start again. It's quite tough. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask a directed question. How many comic books do you own? Oh, what sort of question is that? I mean, so it's between me and my dad because when I became an actor, when I was like, I don't know, 15, 16, I started contributing. When we, we last counted about, I think it was 2000 and 2015, because I was in my old flat. And we were on, we were on 12,000 then. And I would imagine... From there, we've probably had it because we've slowed down a little bit, and I've gone for like higher end comics. So I reckon we're on like twelve and a half thousand or something like that. Nothing too crazy. A roomful, as I describe it. 
Next question. Uh, why is Robocop the best movie of all time? Oh, what a great question. So, Robocop is like, so I believe that everything is linked, right? So all concepts are linked somehow. You can always get there. And I think that Robocop is like Street Fighter in that to the, to the untrained eye, Street Fighter is just, uh, you know, you just smash the buttons and people do crazy moves, right? And then when you really, then you get, but so the entry level is very simple. So Robocop is an action movie. But then when you get deeper, you start seeing more. So if you're, again, a gamer and you play Street Fighter, you start realizing move priority, for example. And then when you get deeper and deeper, you start realizing, oh my God, frame rate and frame rate data. So I feel like Robocop's like that. From the, from the, if you just watch it, it's just an action movie. And then if you watch it again, you go, oh, actually, it's an action sci-fi movie. And then you watch it and you understand it more. You go, wow, it's an action sci-fi. Um, and it's also a parody or a, sorry, a satire. And then when you watch it even deeper, you realize it's all those three things. And it's also a homage to so many things that came before simultaneously. So, and you can, and also it's influences in our everyday lives and we don't even notice it. So like, if you think about it, when it came out, the people that watched that the first time will be in their forties, fifties, like probably the peaks of their career. And then I've, I'm, I'm yet to see a Reddit post that talks about it, but um, Alexa uses terminology that Robo, that's in Robocop. And like, no one's, I feel like it's, too, it's not a coincidence. It's in actually in Robocop 2. So when there's too many things going on, too many of the new directives affecting Robocop, he says, I'm having trouble, which is a very human response, not robotic. And Alexa, when I have no, has no Wi-Fi, says the same thing. She says, I'm having trouble. Whereas a, ro a, a, a robot or a machine doesn't have a concept of I'm, I'm you know, having difficulty. They only have yes or no. And I think that that was put in as the most um, subtle Easter egg of all time. And I can't wait for them to say that they do it on purpose. See how we got from Robocop to Alexa. <laughs> well, it's a good way to bridge the gap. It's a good way to understand <laughs> your mind, you know? <laughs> but, I, look at, I look at all things. I think that um, everything, everything on the outset or at first glance is super simple super super simple and then but when you find someone that's passionate about it they're able to talk to you about it in a, in, in, a, in a first way that you might not even understand so again like linking personal training to geek culture i used to use street fighter analogies loads with Mahan because he understands street fighter as well you know to the untrained eye personal training is very simple get in great shape and walk around the gym and people want to train with you but there's so many nuances and so many uh, little avenues and so many things that, that exist there that you can't see when you're sort of not necessarily uneducated, but you're not, not exposed to it, just like Street Fighter. <laughs> I, Street Fighter is probably more complicated. No, but actually that's a, great, um, that's a great indication of your social intelligence because you're able to actually connect with someone in more nuanced ways than just say, hey, you want a gym? I mean, hey, you want a PT? You can actually talk to them, connect with them, uh, boost them, you know, uh, connect with them on their level, which really helps as well. Well, I think it's, it's um, like, I, I sometimes use fashion as an example because I don't really know much about fashion. Only, the only thing I know about fashion is that it's way more in depth than I have any, like, understanding it currently so i remember like my dad when we were young when i was young sorry like you know something would come up on tv it'd be like a catwalk thing and he'd be like look at these people they look ridiculous with what they're wearing and i used to think yeah that's the same thing and then you know fast forward i'm sure you won't mind me sharing this but fast forward like what 20 years and he is like a religious watcher of um, america's next top model with my sister and I think how funny is that, that how much that one person who couldn't have been more opposite changed. And another example that's perhaps a little bit more widespread, let's say, is football. So like, I barely watch football, but 
if I go, when I'm at the barbershop and people are talking about football, the level of passion and also the level of understanding they have of the intricacies of like trading windows and like things that to the outside you don't know. Like when people say things like, oh, it's just a bunch of like guys kicking a ball about versus like people talking about the youth team and how this person moved from this coach to that coach when they were 16. So they knew that they were going to see him in this league and blah, 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 blah. And they're going on and on and on and on and on. How this manager's not good at dealing with this person. I think it's so complicated versus just a bunch of guys kicking the ball around. Yeah, absolutely. I think every topic can, you can like delve into them for hours. And uh, I mean, it's really good that you have your own sort of quirky topics that you can kind of broach into. But yeah. then, oh yeah, go ahead, Ma. No, sorry, you can, you can continue. I was just going to ask then, what's your favorite book? Oh, um, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge reader, but the last book that I can say really hit me and I really, really enjoyed was, um, and I read it cover to cover, was Bounce by Matthew Said. Um, that's a book talking about, it's a little bit, it sort of um, talks about uh, like mastery and how, you know, you've got like, the Malcolm Gladwell, like 10,000 hour rule. Well, Matthew Said, who was a, was an Olympic table tennis player for Great Britain. And he's a sports, he was a sports editor. At, oh, Marhan, you've got a good story about him. I just realized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you tell it after. So um, I, I, um, his book basically talks about, yes, 10,000 hour rules are pretty much integral, but there's all these other aspects you also need to take consideration. So like location, uh, access, the practice needs to be purposeful, genetics, all this kind of stuff. But it really opened my eyes into the fact that, okay, maybe Nathaniel Morris, age 30 at the time, or maybe I was 29, maybe I can't be the world's best at this, but I can certainly be extremely good at it if I follow all these other things. And I'll let my hand tell his story. Um, this is the Tom story, right? That yeah, my yeah, client yeah. Tom, yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> I don't know if, well, he's not going to ever listen to this, but um, my client was on this uh, like retreat with his family and like uh, in a resort and um, he's, <laughs> uh, he's just sitting down like, you know, at a playground with, uh, watching his kids and there's this random other guy sitting beside him and then he just sits down and like goes on and on and on and talks to this guy about like how he could have been a professional I think either football or rugby player and he's just like, you know, just eating the guy's ears off and everything. And then at the end, <laughs> he turns to the guy and he's like, oh, so yeah, yeah, what do you do? And then it turns out that it was uh, Matthew Said, who's like an <laughs> Olympic tennis player. And like my client is just like, yeah, like in reality, he's just played football with his mates like when he was 16. And he just like never had been <laughs> anything professional. And then... Um, oh, an Olympic good. tennis player is just beside him and the guy apparently was so nice and just listened to him brag on and on and on <laughs> for hours <laughs> while the kids were playing together uh, and he's like yeah 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 I know I'm, I'm this guy and then he's like oh yeah and apparently my client had read the book as well and he just like loses it <laughs> <laughs> but if we're talking if we're talking non-fiction yeah. I'd have to be boring and pick a, a graphic novel and um, say I did really like um, the I did really like uh, the Dark Knight Returns. That is like such a that's the most textbook answer you'll ever get from me about about comic books ever because that is like literally what everyone says. But I did really enjoy it. Favorite panel from that comic book because mine is the, the when they're in the mud like. I was about to say the mud, the mud fight is pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's just like so good. That is pretty awesome. But it's not my bet. I can, I can remember my favorite panel of any comic book as well, actually. Which is? So there's a scene. I remember where I was reading it. How sad is that? Um, there's there's a, a story in Marvel. It's relatively recent, as in the last decade. And there's a storyline where they pick, they just do a proper grey, boring villain 
villains called the builders they're meant to be from like another reality and because of that they've got like all these like superpowers they're, they're, they're super super powerful and everyone's like struggling and they keep like beating everyone and thor who is arguably one of my favorite characters i have his second ever appearance in comic form um he sort of like arrives on the scene now obviously normally it's like thor just like in the movie thor arrives and it's like oh the most powerful ones here and he just starts like you know slapping people up but in this this time he actually did something a bit different which i thought was interesting he like let them like bully him a bit so they let him like beat him up and everyone was like oh my god no even thor can't like stop these guys and there's like 10 of them what can we ever do so it's kind of a, a trope of Thor. He beats everyone by just hitting him with the hammer harder than he hit anyone the time before. But this time, he, he's asked to, um, to put down his weapon. So he does. He, he sends Mjolnir away. And what happens is it goes round the orbit of the sun and comes back at, like, light speed and, like, that just plows a, a giant hole through one of, the, one of these aliens. And he catches it, and it's epic. But he says, it's, it's, and I'll explain a concept afterwards, but he says, if, if they can bleed, we can win. Now, now that you've seen them bleed, you know that we can win. And all of the other, all of the accusers, like Ronan's uh, people that you see in the movies, they've all got hammers as well, and they all, like, unite. And it's, it's like a, it's a really good moment of, like, you know, of how... You're like it's a, this idea that, that there's some it's something that Captain America is more known for that like your strength isn't necessarily in what you do it's the inspiration you have. So he knew that he could just come in and just like start slapping these guys up, but he knew that it wouldn't be impactful enough for the rest of the people around him to feel um, to feel empowered, because obviously Thor can come down he's a god and start beating people up, but he knew that if he played it this way he would not only be able to get the upper hand he would push the others to try harder. And I thought that was a really like cool way of doing it. Because normally, as I said, the answer to everything in Thor's um, books is he's just hit someone harder than he's ever hit him. Like, you know, I'm going to use the God Blow or I'm going to use the Ultra God Blow. It's a bit like Dragon Ball Z-esque, to be honest. But I'll find a screenshot and send it to you because it's a great, it's a great picture. Yeah, I, I've seen that panel. I, I liked it as well, but uh, I didn't get as deep into it. Now I'm like, shit, I need to <laughs> read it again. <laughs> I think that's it. Like a, a lot of the time, like I draw inspiration from, if you think, again, comic books is a great example. Like on the outside, it's very, very simple. It's like superheroes, punching bad guys, maybe solving a few riddles or, or doing a bit of detective work or whatever. And that's it. And, you know, cool action scenes and cool powers. But when you really think of it, how many, you think they've been writing Thor comics since what? Like Journey into Mystery is like from 19, I want to say it's 19, it's, like, it's, it's the 60s, right? Early 60s. And how are they still relevant if all they do is the same thing and they've got the same powers? It just, it just shows you that like there's more to it than, than just them, you know, hitting people with hammers and stuff. They've obviously done that rhetoric, but there's more and more and more like things behind it that make it a little bit more inspirational. I, I wish I could connect, but I was never allowed to read comic books. So it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to take it to one last question, but it's more related to PTing or fitness. What's your favorite training modality? Oh. What a question. Mm. We need another podcast for that to just cover Yeah, I mean, I would have to say, like, so let's say overwhelmingly within the industry there's a bias towards hypertrophy, right? Like, let's just use that as a caveat because the majority of people are in the gym to, like, shape up, if that makes sense. Is that a fair... Yeah, yeah, I, I'd say I, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Right. So I think that everything needs to be taken with that bias in mind. Yeah. In terms of, in terms of like what, because the clients overwhelmingly want that, you have to put yourself in a position to 
learn that way, if that makes sense. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, because it's, it's, it's a difficult question to sort of quick fire because there's a difference in modality and like in terms of like what I consider good training um, and what I believe is best for clients, right? So I think ultimately PT-led one-on-one training as like a methodology type is the best way to learn, is the best way to execute training. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm answering the question right. So I'm thinking modality in terms of like learning, learning methods, yeah? Like, but, but also just more like for you personally, what's like, what are you into? Are you into CrossFit, uh, oh, okay. powerlifting? So, so I, thought, I thought we were talking about in terms of like way, way of learning. Modality. Well, that too. I mean, that okay. too. But so yeah. for me, I think that um, I think that strength and conditioning is probably strength and conditioning is probably the best, but has but because of the bias of clientele, um, in, in terms of like what they want, hypertrophy. And then I think that the best way to deliver hypertrophy in terms of actually doing a session is is a one to one led by pt not not combined some people will say oh it's better if you're in a part like partners as in like training together but i still think there's a lot to be said for that one-to-one concentration you can get when one person is focused on the other but i think that actually understanding um like executing hypertrophy is a combination of of like i think reading theory like understanding what it is you're trying to actualize within a set and then almost immediate practice so like like in an ideal world i'm sure my would love that we if we could do this but no, it, it doesn't happen you brief your client on what you're on the the science behind what it is you're going to try and achieve in a session what it is you're looking for during each set or each yeah each set and then execute that and then record that within um like a logbook with with like you know the intensity i would say yeah I, I tried that once i just got through like this the session ended before we finished warm-up because i just had to cover all the basics and yeah just and, and and that's it that's the problem like my that that's what in my heart i want to be the answer but the reality is very different the reality in terms of execution at least is very much because most people can't we've all done it like we give our clients these like mobility wads that we want them to do and they never do it. They come in 30 seconds before their session's due to start. And, you know, we're finishing up with someone else. So we, there's no time for, like, either education or execution. It's just, like, straight in for, the, for like, the intensity, the one-on-one part. But I'm not a fan of, like, the... I'm not... not I think group training is... Mm, group training is good if, you're, if the person is relatively good already like an intermediate, but I think that you end up being distracted more than, um, more than you actually do anything. And I think the problem with uh, like, not online learning, but people watching videos online is they're watching someone else move. They're not watching them move. So it's very difficult for, for someone to grasp like an understanding of what they're trying to achieve in a set when they're looking at someone that's anatomy is different to them doing it. Quick fire. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great insights either way. Uh, I think we've kind of gone a bit over, so I'm gonna. Uh, I still have one more question, actually. Or, but yeah, this is gonna Go be ahead. a very like kind of quick one, and it's a bit more directed question again. What's the dumbest thing, or the what's the worst thing you've seen a PT do to get people, like you know, get clients? And I've already shown my story, so we can't use that. So handstands on top of a cable machine does not count what's the next dumbest thing you've seen someone do? oh it's it's always the um you know like the on one bosu and then like a foot on each bosu so not bosu sorry on a on like a a gym ball like they're doing a a plank and then they've got one foot on another bosu or gym ball and then they're like oh yeah add some plates to it and i'm like i mean who is this for exactly like and they're like, yeah, it's a really good like show of how strong my core is. And I'm like, is it? But yeah, I think that generally um, it's always going to be like extravagant shows of 
quote unquote expertise is my is is a pet peeve. Yeah. It's like functional. The word yeah, like functional oh yeah, this is training. very functional. Just or in like case you're you're in a plank in an earthquake and you decide that and then like a slab of the ceiling falls on your back and you've got to keep it there. Yeah, just in case that happens. <laughs> or like bicep curls on a BOSU ball. Like, oh, don't even get me like When are you gonna? When are you gonna do that in real life? You know, <laughs> curl something while the floor is shaking. You know, it's not earthquake training. <laughs> <laughs> well, tsunami training. Well, alrighty. So obviously, this was a very insightful session, and I would hope that we get to LA meet in real life if at some point, if I'm ever in England again, or if we have another podcast or just a normal chit chat. Uh, yeah, be awesome. However, uh, before ending, do you have anything you would like to plug, like your social media account, uh, your articles? Is there anything you'd like to direct people to for our imaginary audience? Yeah, one day it might be big. So my, my LinkedIn is is uh, probably the thing that I'd like to plug because that's going to be the platform that I do put my articles on. There's a couple on there, but it's Nathaniel Morris is my LinkedIn, um, and yeah, that's the. That will be the thing to watch for when it comes to my uh, coaching and what I think about the industry. Awesome. That's good. I'm sure it's, it'll be a treasure trove at some point because I learned That's a lot. The dream. That's the dream. And uh, Mahi, do you have any sort of last comments or you want to talk about the product some more? <laughs> well, no, the thing is, I think this, this has been our way of like, I, I, I am and people who know Nathaniel, I think we all are on this um, quest to try to bring him more online and get him to do courses and get him to write books and get that because i love the way he like i don't like to call it simplifying stuff because it's not simple but it's like it makes things more ordered less or intimidating makes, less intimidating yeah i like that word like it things are less intimidating so i really like him to do that so i guess like start with the podcast and eventually maybe he'll have his, his own show hopefully uh, yeah. one day i i think you make things accessible Mm. absolutely he does like uh, that that's one thing that like you know again has helped me a lot uh with that no uh, last thing is uh, again to all the people who do listen to this um we all we appreciate you a lot uh if you like this this show feel free to share it and you know tell your friends to listen to it if you find like any of this information is useful to you or someone who could use it Please tell him to listen to this. Uh, we'll try to bring Nathaniel on more often and you know, get his uh, advice on building a business and like anything comic books related as well. Uh, we're going to love and leave you. And that's uh, it with Majoring in the Minus podcast. Thanks for listening.